Hey guys, this is Molly, and this is the podcast, Mondays with Molly. We are on episode two here, and this is so fun. This is like a dream come true to do this podcast. And today is going to be awesome because we're getting into Easter week. And so I really wanted to do an Easter special episode. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus' death and the details leading up to that. And I've been learning a lot of interesting things that I didn't know, interesting facts about um, the story. And I'm going to share that with you today. And I hope that your takeaway from this all is that you will be reminded of what Jesus sacrificed for us all and that you will just be stirred in your heart to love Jesus even more after you listen to this. So thanks for joining me and I hope you'll stick around. Well, before we get into this episode, I want to have just kind of a chatty segment with you guys before we get into the actual content of the episode because we're friends and I want to chat with you and share with you stuff that's going on. And first, I wanted you guys to know, before you think that I'm all technologically savvy and super smart with making a podcast, I am not. I want you to know I'm using this app called the Anchor app and It makes it incredibly easy to record a podcast, and they actually do the work of distributing it. So they're the ones that put it on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify. I think it's on like TuneIn and Breaker and a few other apps. Super amazing, and it's free. I don't pay anything for this app. Like, how awesome is that? So that has been amazing. The other thing I want to talk to you guys about is... um. I want to know what you guys all, if you're a parent, what you do with the whole Easter candy fiasco. So (laughs) I have started to get smarter and letting my kids only have a certain amount of candy after the Easter egg hunt. Our church does an Easter egg hunt, which is awesome. It's a great community outreach and my kids get so excited for it. They love it. But Easter and Halloween are the two times that we have to deal with the candy situation here because... I don't know about you, but my kids get more naughty when they have candy. And plus, the whole rotting teeth situation is not great. I don't want my kids to have bad teeth. I want them to have good teeth. So limiting candy, I feel like, is so important. Emma and I were having kind of the bartering conversation in the car the other day. I was thinking at first, maybe they could have 10 pieces of candy. Keep 10 pieces of candy from the Easter egg hunt. And then I was like, maybe eight. And Emma's like, no, we should have 10. And so I, I ended with the great parenting statement when you don't know what to do is, I will think about it. <laughs> so that's where we ended. Um, so yeah, I'll have to keep you guys all updated on the total number that I let them have. I think actually my parents probably came up with that idea. Just let them have a certain amount. My parents are so smart with that stuff. Also, talking about my parents, my mom got my kids a few years ago, these resurrection eggs. Do you guys have these? Um, They're great for kids. So there are these little plastic eggs and inside them they have like different little, I don't know, I don't want to say characters, but different little parts of the Easter story. So there's like a rooster in one and there's nails in one and a crown of thorns and the last egg. So you open one egg, I think it's two weeks before. Yeah, because there's 12 eggs total, two weeks before Easter ending on Easter. That's when you stop. The last egg is white and there's nothing in it to remind you that the tomb was empty when Jesus rose from the dead. So 
um, this is a great idea to have to do with your kids to remind them what Easter is all about because I think it's so important. We don't do the Easter bunny in our house because why take away the focus from Jesus? Same with Christmas. We don't do Santa because it's all about Jesus and I want my kids to have that clear in their mind. So I'm glad my mom got us these resurrection eggs. She actually reminded me this year, you should get your resurrection eggs out again for your kids because I forgot about it. So thanks, mom. Thanks for the reminder. And if you don't have these for your kids, it's a great idea to have. So today, um, the reason I picked to talk about these details of the resurrection story and the Easter story leading you know, up to Jesus' death, why I picked this topic, well, first, I thought about talking about Judas and just kind of from his perspective and what we can learn from the mistakes that Judas made. Um, but I decided, why put the focus on like the bad person in this story. Why not put the focus on Jesus? Because Easter is all about Jesus and I want him to be the main focus, the main thing. So, you know, I could do the Judas episode for another time, but today I'm keeping the focus on Jesus. And I was listening to a podcast, which by the way, I will probably reference a lot of things I've learned from other podcasts because I've learned so much from other podcasts. Anyways, I was listening to the sermon and this um, pastor said that a lot of times when we read the Bible as believers, like the emotion is taken out of the stories because we read it so many times, but we have to remember that these were real people going through these real things with real emotions. And that's what I kind of want to bring to you guys today. Now, if you're someone who isn't a believer and you're curious about this, stay tuned, listen to, because I want you to really know what Jesus went through on your behalf because you know, maybe you've heard, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Okay. Like it's something that happened in history, or maybe you don't even believe it happened, but it really did. And I want you to know that really it's more than just those three words, Jesus died on the cross. It's so much greater and it has eternal implication. And so please stay and listen because there's going to be a lot of awesome information. So, all right, let's get going here. Okay, so I want to get started with sharing something that is, has been really interesting to me. So I was asking my dad, who I told you in the last episode is a pastor. I was asking him the other day, well, why did Jesus come when he did come? Like, why didn't he come in today's time when he could have suffered and died by, you know, the electric chair or something that would have been a lot less painful than crucifixion? Well, one, my dad reminded me that Jesus had to shed blood, which was prophesied in the Old Testament. But also, he told me to look up the fullness of time. And Galatians 4.4 talks about Jesus coming in the fullness of time. Well, biblical scholars have kind of uh, found information as to why possibly, these are their thoughts, Jesus came during this time in history. And I'm going to share a couple of them. So the first time, first thought is that Jews... At this time in history, we're really anticipating the Messiah to come because they were being ruled by Rome. And so they were hoping the Messiah would come to, you know, set them free from Roman rule. Another thought is that um, Roman rule brought a lot of the world together because a lot of the world was, you know, Rome was in charge of a lot of the world and it allowed for traveling to be more peaceful. So that worked awesome for spreading the gospel when the apostles eventually went out and shared the gospel. Also, most people spoke Greek at this time. So it allowed for a language that a lot of people spoke. 
And again, the gospel could be shared a lot better when most people spoke the same language. And the last thing I want to share was that um, a lot of the false gods, well, all of the false gods, because they were false, false gods that people worshipped at that time, they realized we're not rescuing them from Roman rule. So it was a perfect time for Jesus to come into the scene and really rescue them from their sin because he is the one true God. So now I'm going to just go on to sharing the Easter story. I've written a lot of notes. You might hear my pages turning as I turn them. I want to start with the triumphant entry when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Now, and I'm going to share all the way up to the crucifixion and kind of stop at Jesus's death because there's just a lot of amazing details that I didn't know and I hope that you will learn something new and it'll just increase your faith and if you have no faith in God that maybe today you'll make a decision to follow Christ. So the triumphal entry is when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. You know that the classic time where he's riding on the donkey and people are waving their branches and putting down their cloaks for Jesus to ride through. Well this time was during Passover week. And in Jerusalem, a lot of Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So the Passover was um, reflecting back on when the Jews were uh, brought freedom from the Egyptians and the Old Testament. And I don't know if you remember the story when Moses allowed different plagues to be, well, by working God's power, different plagues were brought on the Egyptians as Moses was asking Pharaoh to let my people go. Remember that? Well, one of the, well, the last plague was when Pharaoh, uh, when Moses said to Pharaoh, if you do not let God's people go, there will be a plague that will come on that will kill your firstborn son. And so the way that the Jews were protected from this plague was they had to kill a, a ram and they had to wipe its blood on their door posts and close their doors and the angel of the Lord would pass through and their firstborn son would not be killed. Well, all of the Egyptians didn't do that and so their firstborn sons were killed. And so that's called the Passover where you know the Lord passed over the Jewish people sparing them. Well, ultimately, it's kind of cool that Jesus came at this time because ultimately Jesus is, you know, the culmination of the Passover where he is, is that ram, the one that is sparing us from sin and hell and death. So when Jesus came to Jerusalem and rode in on that donkey, this was during Passover week. So there was a lot of people in Jerusalem, way more than there normally would be. Um, and this was probably on a Sunday. And then from Sunday to Friday was when Jesus was crucified. So there's a lot of events that happened between Sunday and then that following Friday. So during that, between Jesus riding in on the donkey and people were yelling Hosanna, which in Hebrew means save. So basically they were saying save us, but they didn't really understand who Jesus was. I think they still wanted they thought Jesus would come to, like I said before, like release them from Roman rule and be their literal king. They didn't get that Jesus was coming to save them spiritually from sin and hell and death. Um, so they missed the point. And Jesus grieved over that, that they didn't get who he really was. 
So from the triumphant injury, triumphant entry, wow, that's hard to say. There was a couple of other things that happened. Well, Jesus, remember he drove out the money lenders in the temple, which was huge, did not make the religious leaders happy at all. He also foretold the destruction of the temple that would later happen. So the religious leaders are seeing these things happen. They're seeing how many people are just in awe of Jesus. They're seeing him drive out the moneylenders and the temple, and they wanted to kill him. But they didn't want to kill him during this feast because they didn't want to cause an uprising in the people um, during the Passover time. So they were trying to bide their time and find the right time to arrest Jesus. Now, after this, Judas goes to the religious leaders and says, I will betray Jesus. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Well, what's really interesting is that 30 pieces of silver, you know, scholars aren't sure exactly how much they, much that was worth, but it could have been a substantial amount because 30 pieces of silver was equivalent to the price of buying a slave, which I think is very interesting. And this was even prophesied, I believe in Zechariah, I read that Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, which is crazy. So... Then um, moving forward in the story, the Passover comes, which was on Thursday, if I'm correct. Thursday, it was on Thursday. And the, and the disciples and Jesus, they had to find a place to celebrate Passover. Passover was a time where they would have a special meal together. And like I said, they would remember their freedom from the Egyptians. It was just an important holiday in the Jewish culture. When the disciples and Jesus all get together in this upper room to celebrate the Passover. Jesus starts by washing the disciples' feet. And I realize that if Jesus washed the disciples' feet, most likely he washed Judas's feet. And Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. And I thought, wow, this is such a beautiful and almost like hurts my heart to think of Jesus washing Judas's feet. This was a job that was done by servants and Jesus was showing them that he is the servant king and that we should serve one another and serving our enemies and loving our enemies is so important and Jesus showed that in what he did. Jesus also did the very first communion with the disciples which communion is when well when Jesus he took the cup of wine and he said this is my blood poured out for you and he took the bread and he said this is my body broken for you which was a real picture of what was about to happen very shortly um so the disciples didn't get all of what was going on but Jesus told them that well someone was going to betray him and they all said well who lord is it I is it I they didn't know it was going to be Judas and Jesus also told Peter that he would deny him three times um, Jesus told them that, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going, well, he said, I'm going to be leaving you. I can't remember if he said, I'm going to die, but they were worried. They didn't know what was going on fully. They didn't understand, but they knew like something was going to happen. And I think they were pretty like traumatized by that because then the story goes on and um, Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane where he goes to pray. And Jesus began to pray. I'm going to read some scripture of what he said right here. So Luke 2, 
actually it's Luke 22:42 gives us like a little window in to what Jesus was really feeling as he knew the cross was coming very soon. He prayed to God as he was in the garden and he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So Jesus was in like incredible stress, so much so that like capillaries broke and mixed the blood mixed with sweat, and he was literally sweating drops of blood. I think in this moment, as we hear Jesus say, you know, if possible, let this cup pass from me. We see Jesus' humanity as well as his, that he was God, that he's saying, you know, if possible, let me not do this, but not my will, but your will be done. He was showing us an example of what we should pray. This is a great thing to pray, you know, when we're going through something hard, you know, not my will, but your will be done. Well, while Jesus was praying, the disciples they kept falling asleep. It says that they were sleeping for sorrow. So they were obviously very upset knowing something was terrible was going to happen. And they didn't understand why Jesus was going to leave them. And that would be pretty discouraging for Jesus to see that his disciples couldn't even stay awake when he, he did ask them as he was praying in the garden, pray, pray for me. Um, well, actually, he didn't say pray for me. He said pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But they, they fell asleep under grief. Well, while Jesus is still in the garden, Judas comes to him with chief priests and other soldiers to arrest him. And G- Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, which in Jewish culture was what you would do to a friend. But Judas was betraying someone that he followed for three years and devoted a lot of his life and Jesus took so much time to teach him and yet Judas was willing to just betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Well, these chief priests and soldiers go on and they take him to the Jewish high priest, which was Caiaphas. And during this meeting that Jesus has, well, not meeting, he's arrested. During It's almost like a trial. There's multiple false testimonies brought before Jesus. And then finally, you know, they asked Jesus, do you say you're the son of God? And Jesus says, yes, that he is. And of course, they're incredibly angry and think that he's blaspheming, saying that he is God. Then we read in Matthew 26, 67, that they spit in his face and they struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? They were so angry with him and wanted him to die. And so they took him to Pilate, the governor, who didn't find anything wrong with him. And Pilate sent him to Herod, who was in town, maybe for the Jewish festivities. But Herod couldn't find anything wrong with him, so he sent him back to Pilate. Well, Pilate continued to not find a reason to punish him and send him to a death sentence. So he tried to give them an option here. And it was a tradition during Passover that the Jews would have someone released from prison. So Pilate gave them the option of Barabbas or Jesus. Now, Barabbas was a murderer, a robber, and an insurrectionist. And you know what they said? 
They said they wanted Barabbas released and they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And so I think Pilate, seeing this like mob appeal of so many people saying they wanted Jesus crucified, he just let them do it. And he literally said, I wash my hands of this man. You do what you want with him. So then Jesus was taken to be flogged and um, now gets to more of the brutal part of the story. If you have little kids around, you might not want them to hear this part of the story, but I want you guys to hear it because I want you to know what Jesus suffered for us. So flogging in Roman time was a terrible beating. A leather whip was taken that had like metal pieces on the end and they would flog somebody multiple, multiple times to the point of near death. First, it would tear through their skin and then it would tear through their muscles, causing bleeding even into their arteries. So blood is just pouring out and strips of skin is just being ripped off. They would be beaten, like I said, till near death. So Jesus was suffering incredibly to this point. And then they took his clothes, the Roman soldiers, and they took it off. They took his clothes off of him, mocking him, putting a robe on him, giving him a staff and jamming. Probably, I don't think they put it on gently, a crown of thorns on his head, which again caused an incredible amount of bleeding coming from the head. They spit on him and they hit him on the head with this staff. Then after they made fun of him in that terrible way, they put his clothes back on him and they led him to be crucified. Jesus probably would have carried his own cross, but he was incredibly weak at this point and wasn't able to carry it. So they had another man carry his cross. They led him to Golgotha, which is called the place of the school. And I learned from my dad's Sunday school class that in Jerusalem, the place of the school actually has like the face of a skull on the rock, like the rocks are in a position that it looks like a skull. Um, it's there to this day. And this was a kind of a public area where people would pass by and see people crucified as they walked by. When Jesus was led to this place and he was crucified and nailed to the cross, a nail would go into each wrist. You know, in pictures we see it going into the hands, but it probably went into the wrist because this is gruesome, but if it went into the hands, it most likely would have ripped through the fingers. And so the wrist was more of a firm place to do it. So they would put a nail in each wrist and then the feet would be nailed together into one. At this point, Jesus's arms would have been in excruciating pain because as his body sagged down from his arms, it would put an incredible amount of pressure on his arms. And so the way to kind of avoid a little bit of that pain would be to push up on your feet, but his feet were nailed together. So again, that caused so much pain. Um, I'm going to read to you guys from this article that I read. It's a kind of a physician's perspective on what Jesus went through, and this will explain it a lot better. Okay, so this is what the article says. So he would have just excruciating pain shooting along the fingers and up the arms. The nails in the wrist would be putting 
pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment of his arms, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, nodding them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability for Jesus to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles, so the chest muscles are paralyzed, and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. And then it was during this time that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he also says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then moving on, Jesus experienced hours, I'm still reading from this article, of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timbers. Then another agony begins, a terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. So Jesus is nearing the end here. He has suffered incredible torment, incredible pain, and his last words are, It is finished. As he took the payment for everyone's sin, Everyone's sin that was in the past and everyone's sin in the future, he bore that on the cross for us. At the moment of Jesus' death, an earthquake happened in Jerusalem. And it actually says in the Bible that dead saints, dead believers, were raised from the dead and walking around in Jerusalem. And also, the curtain in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. You know, showing that if it was from the bottom to the top, people could have said, well, somebody did it. But it was from the top to the bottom. And that curtain being ripped was between the holy place and the most holy place. And the only person that could go into the most holy place was the high priest once a year. And that, that curtain being ripped was signifying that now anyone, we don't need a priest anymore. That Jesus made a way for us all to come to God on our own accord, which is absolutely amazing. And after Jesus' death, a soldier pierced Jesus in his side, which I read in that article about a physician's view on Jesus' death, that he would have pierced him with the spear that would have gone through his ribs and into his heart. And when that happened, it says in the Bible, blood and water flowed out, which was a sign that Jesus didn't die of asphyxiation, but he died of heart failure. So why do I want to share all this? Well, we know that the story ends good, that it ends joyful and happy with three days later, Jesus rising from the dead, conquering death. Satan did not have victory in this. Jesus had victory and made it possible for us to have eternal life with him. Well, why do I want to focus on the cross? Well, 
this is an interesting quote that I think helps this all be put into perspective. It says, the cross is a one-time visual representation of God's grief over sin. And Frank, Franklin Graham said, it was Christ who willingly went to the cross and it was our sins that took him there. I think we can easily kind of separate ourselves from the story and, and not realize that really we're the ones that put him there on the cross. And I want you to know that it's very important what you believe about Jesus and what your belief is even about this story because it has an eternal implications. Are you going to believe like what Islam believes that Jesus was just a good teacher, just a prophet? Are you going to believe like Jehovah's Witnesses that believe Jesus was just a God, but not the God? Are you going to believe like Mormons that say, you know, Jesus plus good works save us, that good works are part of what saves us? Or maybe you just are indifferent to this story. You're indifferent to Jesus and you don't really care. Well, now is the time for you and for us all to wake up. Satan likes to distort the truth in small amounts, but really any distortion from the truth turns into a lie, and it is no longer the truth. If we don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again for us so that we could have eternal life, Jesus' death and all he suffered turns into something cheap and makes it something that just wasn't really costly, but it was costly. It was Jesus, the Son of God's very life, sacrificed for our sins. Now I'm going to read some important scriptures that I think are just so a part of sharing the gospel and sharing God's truth. And you all know that Easter, without me sharing the gospel, like what am I doing this podcast for if I don't share with you guys what is most important to me? This verse in John 14, 6, I just love so much. It's probably one of my favorite verses because it's very clear about salvation. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said these words as he was with this, the disciples during the Last Supper. Okay, I want to go on to read Matthew seven, thirteen, And it says, enter, this is Jesus talking, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And then one more scripture that I want to read in Philippians 2, 12. And it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to say a little side note here. If you are not sure about your faith, this is the moment to be sure. I also want to say that if you're not sure about one of your loved one's faith, do not assume that a loved one is saved. Think about Judas and how he experienced so many parts of the amazing story of Jesus. They, he saw his miracles. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw all those things, and yet his heart was not changed. You cannot assume 
that your loved ones are saved just because, you know, they may say a few things that sound Christian-like, but you can't assume it. Jesus said the narrow road, few are going to walk that road. So I want you to pray. I think we all should pray for our loved ones and look for opportunities to share our faith with them and not just assume that they're saved. Now, if you're listening to this and you don't have faith in God, it's very easy to make a choice to follow Jesus first. You just have to believe what I shared, that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again, that he is God and that we need him. And second, you just have to confess your sin. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of you. I'm a sinner in need of saving. I know in our culture today, that same podcast that I was listening to about how I said that, you know, our emotions are kind of removed from the stories in the Bible that we don't really get what's going on. He also said that in our culture today, you know, we like to say we make mistakes. Yeah, I messed up. But saying sin, I sinned is something that we don't want to say. But eternal implications are at stake if we don't admit that we are all sinners. And I think in our hearts, we all know that we fall short and that we need a savior. And then the last thing that you just have to do is commit your life to Christ and say, from this day forward, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm sharing this whole story with you of really what happened in Jesus's death and leading up to it and the, the terrible pain that Jesus went through for you because your salvation came with a cost. It is free to you, but it was extremely costly to Jesus. And so don't take it lightly. And if you're a believer, don't take it lightly what Jesus did. If you need to recommit your life to Jesus today, today's a great time to do it. To just say, God, I haven't been living for you. And I, I want to change that. I want to live for you. I want to remember what you did on the cross each and every day. And I, I don't want to take that lightly anymore. I want to follow you fully and completely with my life. You know, even for me, myself, reading this story and getting these details together um, just is very emotional to me and just realizing exactly what Jesus went through for me. And it's just a reminder to me just how much he did for me and how much I, I just love Jesus and I'm so thankful. And it's also a reminder to me as I share this with you all of my own sin and and how much I need Jesus and how much daily I need to say confess to God the things that I am doing that I've done that aren't honoring to him and then making a commitment each morning to live anew or live afresh and and be a good steward of what Christ has done for me so that's where I want to end here on this note I want to pray for you guys all as we get go into Easter that this would just be an awesome week for you so here we go dear father I just thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, we are so unworthy of your sacrifice that you made on our behalf. You know, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And Jesus, we are just so thankful. We're incredibly thankful. And God, I want to pray for anyone that is listening to this that has never made a commitment to follow you or maybe they're just not sure. Like, am I really saved? I pray that they would in this moment make a decision to commit their life to you. And anybody who's listening who needs to recommit their life to you, I pray that today would be the day that they would move forward following you 
making a decision step-by-step just to grow and walk with you. And, and God, I just pray that all of us would remember your sacrifice. And as we celebrate Easter and we have a wonderful time with our family, that we would remember that our celebration should not be taken lightly, but we should remember that this was a costly sacrifice on your part and that it didn't end in just sorrow in your death, but it, it turned into glory and you conquering sin and hell and death as you rose from the grave three days later. Satan didn't know what was coming to him. And we just thank you, God, that you're greater. You're greater than any trial in our life. You're greater than any sin in our life. That you proved that through what you did on the cross and through what you did in resurrection, God. And we believe that and we are thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. That's all I'm going to share today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Thanks for coming along on this journey with making a podcast. And I hope you guys have a wonderful Easter. And I will see you guys next Monday, every Monday, for my next Mondays with Molly. Have a great Easter week, guys. Bye.